0: once we were able to get on a stable platform, then I started focusing on how do we start making IT here be that digital leader for the organization? Because once we righted the ship, now we could go out and start trying to deliver really cool things. Technology is transforming how we think, how we
1: lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go. The show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hang around college athletics for very long, and you will undoubtedly hear something about the portal. Listen to an ESPN broadcast talk about the men's and women's basketball rankings, and you're likely to hear a new stat, the net. Today, we have a unique opportunity here on Status Go. Our guest today is the CIO for the NCAA, Judd Williams. Judd and his team have built some of the most innovative apps in college athletics. Welcome to the show, Judd.
0: Thank you. I'm uh, excited to be here.
1: Uh, It is great to have you here, man. I really want to dig into the stories behind the innovation you guys are driving, but I think we have to start earlier than that. We need to go back in time, go back seven years, Take us back. You are the brand new CIO of the NCAA. First, that had to be pretty cool. But what what was it like? What did you find?
0: So, I mean, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a very cool opportunity. And I remember uh, previous I was working for the FBI and I was talking with the uh, CFO of the NCAA and she was asking, um, hey, are you still interested in this job? And honestly, I couldn't say yes fast enough. Uh, oh, wow. This really is a kind of a dream come true where I get to work with technology and I get to work with sports. And and even in my interviews, I was, I was talking with a lot of the senior executives at the NCAA. And we were talking about, I'm an Auburn uh, football guy. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the upcoming season for Auburn football. And just this is part of my job is to understand yeah. this stuff and know what's happening. So it it was amazing for me so I jumped at it. And then of course when when I got here of course I was doing a lot of kind of assessment and kind of seeing where where are we? Um and we 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 were not in a good spot. <laughs> um very immature in any kind of best practice. We were also missing uh the infrastructure director at the time. Uh so we were very aimless. And what I during my assessment, I also look a lot at the culture of the IT department and the culture of the organization. And one of the things that jumped out to me across the organization was that IT was just kind of a, a, a customer-driven shop where we were told to say yes to everything. And we had no governance, no vetting of these requests. Yeah. No. Um, so that's one of the first things I looked at. We had a, a shaky... Infrastructure to where we were constantly having to send out emergency emails to all staff saying, Hey, network services are down, or uh, the the SharePoint environment is down. One of the best examples I have of kind of what we walked into or what I walked into is that we have a data center, and I'm using air quotes because it's not a data center, it was basically a computer room, (laughs) uh, which was on the first floor of our building against a windowed wall to the outside so you could literally break a window and get into our data center again i'm using the air quotes Mm -hmm. uh so not secure (laughs) and we had no backup for that that computer room either and so when we would have a power outage at the ncaa the whole ncaa was down yeah yeah uh so it was one of those things where in the world do you even start to write the ship. Uh, so my first task was, it really was to, okay, we've got to fix things in-house before we start trying to become that external partner. And it, and it reminds me, a, a lot of folks in IT want to be that partner for the business, that strategic partner. And how can we help mm-hmm. you innovate? And it reminds me of a cartoon that I saw where the CIO is walking into the boardroom and the CIO is saying something like, Hey, we want to be that value strategic partner. We want to help you innovate and deliver new technology. And the people at the boardroom are like, that's great. Can you just get our printers to work first? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And so That really, that stuck with me. So a lot of my focus was how do we get, because we were averaging like a 97% uptime of our critical services. We've got to improve that. And so it took a lot of uh, kind of open conversations internally, which is one of the culture pieces I wanted to work on is I wanted to have a trusted relationship with everyone on my staff to where they can tell me the good and more importantly, the bad, because uh, yeah. that is where you get the real ideas. And if you can get that level of trust, like, Hey, I want to hear what's bad. It's not going to be held against you. I need to know what to fix.
1: Right, right. Uh, so
0: we started working on that. And of course, I was going to my boss, the CFO. Uh, um, i was like, hey, we've got a bit of a mess. Uh, what, what resources? <laughs> I need more uh, money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, like, I was like, I need more resources. And, and of course, she said no. <laughs> she, yeah. she was like, hey, look, I think there's a lot of uh, waste in your budget. So I want you to go through with a fine tooth comb, fix what you can. And then let's talk about the next steps. And so I really started working on the budget piece. Hey, where's our money going? Uh, Are we getting the return on investment for those uh, expenditures? And then let's look at long-term value instead of any kind of short-term gains. And let's focus on solving the problems where they don't come up again. I'm okay with, with things breaking the first time, but if they break for the same reason a second time, that's when I have some problems. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So we started doing those assessments. At the same time, I hired in my infrastructure director and I, I specifically targeted someone uh, who had a wealth of experience, who had been in IT for well over 30 years. So he's kind of seen it all. And so because he has that outside perspective as well, what I found was we've had some people who've been at the NCA since they graduated college and they've been here. 15 or 16 years. So we've had a lot of people in the IT department. Yeah. In our IT department. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, no. no. Uh, So so they've not seen other things. So I brought in my infrastructure director and we started working on shoring up the infrastructure. One of the first moves is that we started going to the cloud uh, as quickly as possible in order to combat that. Hey, we don't have a backup data center. Uh, I went to some of these senior executives and I said, hey, we need a backup data center. It's going to cost X amount of dollars. And they said, well, if we have a real disaster, we'll just get 500 free Gmail accounts, which is not necessarily a good backup plan. <laughs> uh, so we started going full bore into the cloud as quickly as we could to, to reduce the dependency on the computer room downstairs. Yeah. While yeah. we were doing this, we also started looking at, hey, we need to have common terminology. We need to have standard best practices. So I send everyone to be ITIL certified. Just, hey, here's something we need to be looking at. I want everyone on the same page. I want us to be able to troubleshoot issues as they come in. Uh, We also looked at building out a governance process to where previously, if anyone in the organization found a developer They could go to that developer and say, hey, I need you to create um, uh, this specific app. And we were told we need to say yes to that. But there was no assessment of that request and no looking at, hey, is there an ROI for this or is there a bigger project we should be working on for the association? Uh, So I first tried to empower my staff. You can say no. We're going to funnel all the requests through a singular process so we have the same eyes looking at it, and we start prioritizing the requests that are coming in.
1: Now, I'd love to dig into, into that because where you guys are today is you're now an award-winning IT department. You've been recognized by Computer World three years in a row for the best place to work in IT. You've been on the Information Week Elite 100 and IDG's Digital Edge 50. So you walk into this uh, arena, how, what was that like when all of a sudden you say, you, it, it's one thing to tell your IT team, hey, you guys can say no, but how was that received by your business
0: colleagues? So there was a lot of messaging that had to come <laughs> from me for that. Um, and one of the things I, I did was I created what I called this IT liaisons group. Uh, where we would have a representative from every functional business unit. And then once a month, we would sit down and talk about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had great representation, but I would bring them in, and I would never shy away from the deficiencies that we've had, but also not shy away from telling them, hey, these are the challenges we're facing, and this is why we're going to do what we're doing. And I, I found... Being open and genuine and then telling them the reason behind why we're doing a lot of what we're doing really brought them to our side. And a lot of them were very sympathetic and actually encouraging of the plans because they don't like the 97% uptime as well. Right, right. Uh, So talking about, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing. And this is where it's going to lead. You're going to have better service. You're going to have better apps. This is going to help you do your job Better Because before you got whatever you asked for, but now we have a portfolio that we can't manage. We have too many silos, data is not being shared. And so then when I explained that to them, they're like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. So I was actually amazed at how receptive people were when you explain things to them like that. They were fully on board. And even we had not had um, much focus on security. And obviously from my background, with the FBI security is paramount. And yeah, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> uh, so even when we were talking about, Hey, we're going to have a few more headaches for you, but we're doing it because we need to be secure. And we had examples in our past where we had lapses in security. And so again, when you start saying, Hey, we're attacked, I don't know, half a billion times every month, people understand why we're doing what we're doing. We didn't even have a web filtering software program at the NCAA when we got here, which is, it's not, did you replace a filtering software? No, 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 no. We installed a brand new one. We never had yeah, one before. Yeah. So even that concept was like mind blowing for a lot of folks. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, hey, we're going to, we're going to make sure you don't go to some dangerous websites and, and accidentally download things. So, so that was also the communication aspect. And then of course, I was always trying to make sure that I was going out to all the other department staff meetings and talking about, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And you give them a lot of nice things too. So like prior when we would give out a laptop, it would be, okay, here's your 15 inch laptop. Have fun. Uh Take it. it, You get any color you want as long as it's black, stuff like Uh, that. Right. So when I arrived, I'm like, okay, look, we're going to give you some options uh, if you travel a lot, you might want to get the 13-inch laptop. If you are at your desk and you need a bigger screen, why don't you get the 17-inch laptop? So trying to be a little bit more friendly and helping people focus on their own productivity, I also think a lot went a long way to building that credibility.
1: Yeah, yeah. I assume you weren't the only one that all of a sudden was being more communicative with the business partners. How did you teach your team to take those steps and go out and do that?
0: So I was very explicit with my expectations of the team. Um, we, We did focus a lot on how we communicate. How do you write an email? If you write an email that's like five paragraphs long with detailed instructions, people aren't going to read it. Right. If you're answering a question, people are going to stop listening to you after the first 10 seconds. So I really focused on, hey, this is how I want you to communicate. I don't want you to... If you can't solve a problem, don't just kick the person off to someone else and then don't follow up, have that follow up. And then I also focused a lot on uh, who we hire. So we had made a couple of hires where we hired the best technical person out there and they were incredibly smart, but they were hard to work with some of our users. So we started looking to hire more personable folks to work on staff. And honestly, my view is, anyways, that technology shifts so fast. Even if you're technically proficient, the technology is changing. You got to get trained up. So I wanted to hire good, outgoing folks and then really focus on training them from a technology standpoint. Uh, so I think that helped a large amount too, getting kind of the more personal folks. And then after about my first year, I focused on building up a PMO, a project management office. The IT department at the NCA had not had a project manager until like a week before I arrived. Uh, so, also building up a PMO where you have someone in charge of interacting with a lot of our users also went a long way, which also kind of brings into the leadership team that I wanted to build. And I was very uh, conscious about who I was choosing uh, to really complement. ensure my weaknesses um so when i was looking at the the pmo director i was looking for someone very gregarious very outgoing who can talk to just about anybody and make who someone who could be delivering bad news and still have the other people feel good about it when it's over so
1: Um uh, that's and, a real skill. Uh, it
0: really is. Uh and, and yeah. so I hired Christy and, and she's been amazing in that role. And she just has that skill that I don't have. And and then I hired uh Mark from my infrastructure director role, who brings that wealth of experience uh but knows how to push folks and, and also push a lot of our vendors. He's really skilled at that, being aggressive in some of those things, which is also kind of a weakness of mine. So When I was assembling the management team, I was really looking who's going to complement, who's going to be strong where I'm weak. And it really worked out well to, again, recreate and restructure the culture of the IT department and then help shape it across the entire organization. Uh, So, again, it's very uh, mindful of the personalities I was hiring and making sure my sole focus wasn't necessarily technology. And I think that was a huge shift for us.
1: In our pre-call, you you got into that bit about culture and what you were trying to do to change the culture, empower your team. Could you talk about some of the results that you've seen because the culture has changed?
0: I think so. There are a couple aspects to that. I think first and foremost, obviously, when we empowered the folks, say, "Hey, you can start pushing back on some of these requests," because I, I felt like before they were just tired and worn down they Mm -hmm. saw bad decisions being made that hey we want this solution can you make it happen but now by empowering them their morale started to increase that they felt like they had some control over the direction of the association and they can lend their expertise into shaping some of these solutions so you started seeing an uptick in morale that way Also, when we were focused on trying to improve processes and uh, improving our infrastructure, we were starting to work with uh, up-to-date technology. So we were on kind of exchange in the cloud in the fall of 2014, uh, which is well ahead of a lot of other organizations. So once people started seeing hey, we're fixing a lot of the issues that have been plaguing us for years and we're starting to work with cool new technology, the morale really started to increase at that point. And all of that, if I'm fast forwarding a couple of years, as we started to shore up the infrastructure, we were pretty quickly at four nines uptime. Uh, Mm -hmm. The number of emergency emails that went out to talk about outages almost decreased overnight. So, once we were able to get on a stable platform, then I started focusing on how do we start making IT here be that digital leader for the organization? Because once we righted the ship, we had the platform. Now we can go out. It was, I mean, it was the crawl, walk, run. Now we could go out and start trying to deliver really cool things. And that's when I started looking at everyone's performance management. And I said, I want everyone to have 10% of their time researching something that they're interested in related to technology. And I gave him uh, access to like online training, like Safari books or now it's, I think it's O'Reilly books, which had webinars, videos, every technology book under the sun, gave him access to Gartner for technical professionals. So they had access to learn new things. And now that we had platforms where we can spin up, new environments just for them to play around with. Hey, I want you to look at machine learning. I want someone to research blockchain. How could that impact us? I want someone to look at virtual assistants. How could we leverage something like that? That, again, just fueled the, the everyone in the department wants to be challenged. They want to be working with the, the latest and coolest tools. So, again, I think that also just kind of um, increased morale significantly.
1: Yeah, that's a great segue into the last part of what I want to talk with you about today are some of these applications that you guys built, not because I think all of our listeners are going to go out and build the next great uh, sports app, but <laughs> it shows the innovation and how your team was able to influence the, the direction of some of the, some of the business units. So first, let's, let's turn our attention to those apps What's the story behind the portal? Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the portal, can you tell us what it is?
0: Certainly. So in college athletics, um, we have close to half a million student-athletes that are under our purview. And for any number of reasons, uh, athlete, the student-athletes will look at other opportunities, whether they want to go back and be closer to home or, or whatever the reason is. So the NCAA averages around 16,000 transfers per year. Wow. So because of our relationship and the, and the, the relationships we've built with a lot of the different business units, uh, one of the, the governance uh, business units reached out to us and said, hey, our committee is looking at changing some of the bylaws related to transfers, which in and of itself, the fact that they reached out to us way ahead of time <laughs> was a huge win for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because usually we get the word after the committee's already passed the bylaws and like, oh, hey, we need something next week. Um, So because of the relationships we've built, they brought us in early. And so we were able to think through and talk to them, hey, this is what we think is possible. So now during the uh, transfer process prior, it was extremely manual, a lot of paper based forms going out. Um, and then the student athlete would say, Hey, I want to transfer, or I want to look at transferring to these five schools. Then the main school would have to go send out notices to those five schools. Hey, this person wants to transfer. They want to go to you, but it was all paper-based. It was so painful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so basically we were able to get in and because we had forewarning, warning, we were thinking through it before. And once the bylaw was passed, we were able to get in there and, One of the other aspects of that culture that I've been focusing on is I want an IT to be a partner with the business unit where we're not an order taker, but we are a legitimate partner. And so we will push back on things and say, hey, have you thought about this? Uh, Because obviously the mind of a developer will think through because they've got to (laughs) code it. They're going to think through questions that the business unit might not have thought of. Like, well, what happens if you don't have this or they fill it in this way? Uh, what does that do to the process? So, we were able to work from like ground zero, just help develop the process and then help codify it into a smooth looking app. So, we were able to create this transfer portal application to where now, when a student athlete wants to transfer, it's all digital. And then it goes into this portal where anyone can see, hey, so-and-so is looking to transfer away from XYZ University. So other coaches can go in there and look. We have better data analysis, and it's all automated. And we have calculated that for every transfer that now goes through our portal, we're saving at least two hours worth of time on the administration side of things. So when you're talking about 16,000 transfers, we're now talking time yeah in the first year we've saved thirty-two thousand hours of our memberships time
1: it was funny when we first started talking about this judd and you were you were talking about the portal just a few days later i was having a conversation with one of the folks here at intervision whose son is a college athlete and he was like oh yeah my my son uh he's going to transfer so he he just put his stuff in the portal it's like oh my god i know what that is
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome it was really uh Always kind of fascinating to me is like if I'm at the gym and ESPN is is on in the corner, I was, it's almost daily. There's some sort of headline that so and so entered the transfer portal, or I saw one article talking about how the NCAA transfer portal is going to impact college athletics. Uh, so it's fascinating to see something that you work on now yeah, on the TV yeah. almost all the time. Can you tell us the
1: story behind the net score? Just briefly how that came so to be. So that
0: was, uh, to me, that, that was just one of the most fascinating things and the coolest things that I've worked on. A couple of years ago, because of the work that we had been doing and I mean, we had been stuck kind of early 2000s technology, now that we were on modern platforms, we were in the public cloud, it opened up a lot of new opportunities for us to exploit new technologies At the same time, the NCA entered a corporate partnership uh, with Google Cloud. And so we were looking, how can we work with Google Cloud and identify opportunities to where we could Mm -hmm. go out and leverage and create something really cool? At the same time, for about 30 years, we had been using a static algorithm called the RPI that would create a numerical-based ranking of the 360-plus Division one men's basketball teams to help us select who are going to be those top 68 teams that go to the tournament. So after talking with our championships department, after talking with Google, we thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could look at using machine learning to help us determine a new ranking that would be more accurate than this 30-year-old static algorithm? So we looked at 10 years worth of play-by-play data across the 360-plus teams. So we're already talking about a pretty large data set, ran yeah. the machine learning model on it, and we we looked at the top five variables that would predict a team's success. And then we saw the weighting of each of those variables. So we used that as the basis for this new ranking. Uh, we also did some kind of hard-coded variables in there as well so we won't factor anything if if you win by more than 10 points we kind of negate that because we want to promote sportsmanship uh, so we had some of our hard-coded variables in there as well so we threw out this new machine learning model that was based on the kind of the five main variables and then some of our hard-coded variables and we were all a little nervous about it and said so is this going to work so when we first yeah. ran it it was two years ago, and if you remember, there was a massive upset of UMBC beating number one-ranked Virginia in the very first round. Yeah, um, We ran our model, and it actually predicted UMBC was going to upset Virginia. And we posted <laughs> it on NCAA.com for about 30 seconds. And we thought, mm-hmm. this seems so unrealistic, we actually took it down. Because we like, oh, wow. we were a little worried. Like, <laughs> this doesn't seem right. There's no way UMBC is yeah. going to win. And then, sure enough, yeah. UMBC won. And so that was kind of a the first segue. Like, maybe maybe we're to something. And so we took yeah. the net to the basketball selection committee, and they blessed it. The next year, we ran the net for the first time four weeks into the season. And the very oh, wow. first publication of that, we had Ohio State is number one. Virginia's number two and Texas Tech is number three. So fast mm-hmm. forward to the end of the season, the championship game had Virginia versus Texas Tech. And
1: uh-huh. Virginia
0: won. So when I look at how accurate was the net, I mean, we showed pretty pretty closely, four weeks think, in, yeah, out of our top three, we had the correct top two and, and we had the right winner. And if you looked at the AP and the coaches poll at the same time, they had Texas Tech at number 19. Um, Wow. So I think it just goes to the power of that data and looking at those variables that really highlight success. I mean, we found some other kind of cool, interesting facts that you have a greater chance for an upset on a full moon, um, which which is always just kind of (laughs) a fun fact to know. uh, But I mean, having those insights into the data, I, I think was just fascinating for us and the organization to see this is the power of the technology.
1: All right, so we're out of time, Judd, and this has been fantastic. As usual, when you and I get together, we could talk forever. But I do like to wrap up with a question I ask all of our guests. Our listeners out there are IT leaders, they're CIOs, they're senior IT leaders in a wide variety of industries. But what's one thing that you would tell them to go do today Because they listen to our conversation.
0: So the one thing I would say, and I don't know if I'm treading on any kind of trademarks is, is the Nike just do it. Uh, So I think for it to be a leader in any organization, I think you have to know when to ask for permission and when to ask for forgiveness. And honestly, I'm at the point where I just want to go out. It owns the data. We we have all the data in the world across all of our business units, so start with a pilot, test out something new. So one of the things that we've done uh, with our eligibility center, we will process a quarter million applications of high school seniors who want to be collegiate student athletes. Wow. In that process, we will get a high school transcript that we will then manually hand enter into our system. So we just say, you know what? We think that there is a technology out there that can help that process. And we just started to do a pilot. Now we informed the business unit after we looked at the technology, we looked at the feasibility, but we were already kind of running with a pilot to say, Hey, let's just see what happens with this. And, And a lot of that also comes back to the IT leader, understanding the business of the operation and where the pain points, where's waste, where, where can dollars be saved? But we just started doing it. We had the data, we had some initial positive results, and then we went back to the business unit and we said, hey, look, how would you like to save what we think is like 200,000 a year? We're paying for it and it'll make your process even better. Um, it, It got them interested and we just took that first step. We didn't wait for someone to ask us. We didn't wait for someone to invite us to the meeting or to the table to say, hey, what can you guys deliver We had the technology, we had the know-how, and even if it failed, I mean, we were talking about like a a little $20,000 investment, so that's why I just say, just go out there and just start doing it, and if you get positive results, no one's going to be mad at you if you're like, hey, I could save you $200,000, and you know what, I paid for the pilot. No one's going to say no to you, and if they do, then your organization has other problems.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Judd, that is great advice for uh, any leader out there, IT or otherwise, is to, to try to find a problem, identify a problem and solve it. Just do it. Just go do it. I really want to thank you for spending the time today, Judd. I know you're incredibly busy and I appreciate you carving out time to talk with us today. So thank you.
0: No, I thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope it was uh, helpful for some folks. To our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to learn more,
1: go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Judd Williams. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.